Hello there, this is D, and welcome to episode 112 of the Benzo Free Podcast. Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. You just might feel a little better on the other side. So where do I start? It's been a while, and um, a lot of things are going on, I'm sure. I'm sure that's the case with you all, and it's been the case with me. Some bad, some good, but it's a new year. I think the last podcast I did was December, so maybe I should catch you up a bit. This is a new year, and I'm hoping... I'm hoping it's a year of change for most of us, especially for all of you who are still deep within the difficulties of benzo withdrawal or bind. I'm hoping that this podcast will find you hopeful. I guess that's my hope, is that it will find you hopeful. I'm hopeful again. I I was down in the dumps for a while. For those of you on the newsletter, you already knew from a few weeks ago, I sent out an uh, email telling you that I was dealing with a few health complications and some other issues, and so that's why I've been offline for a while. But I'm back. I am back. Um, I'm excited about where I'm going. I'm excited about where we're going with the podcast and with the website and everything else. I've been getting a lot of stuff done, and I just want to share it with you because that's what I do here at the podcast. But before I do, I just wanted to reach out to each of you and say, I'm still here and I'm still listening and I'm not going anywhere. And I'm hoping that you all can find that hope, that progress, that huge window in 2023. I'm hoping it's the year that you all turn the corner and things start to get dramatically better. And I'm hoping that for myself too. So let me catch you up a bit. First off, I want to thank everyone for the well wishes. When I sent out the newsletter, um, I got a lot of emails and responses back about my health and it was wonderful. Thank you all so much for the, for the very kind words. My voice is um, back for the most part. Um, It was difficult to talk too long earlier without it cracking. Um, Just so everybody knows, for those who didn't get the newsletter, I've been dealing with health complications lately. I had COVID in early December. Um, It was, I think, our third bout of COVID. We didn't always test on the earlier ones, but it sure seems like my wife and I, this is our third time we both had COVID. It had the lingering effects of fatigue and cough. 
But my thought is that it also combined with the big wave of, of benzos, a of bind, and caused some complications. My, my recent complications were I've had some pretty strong tinnitus in my right ear, a pulsatile tinnitus I mentioned to you before. That one I had checked out, it's still there, but I'm hoping it will ease as this wave eventually eases. But primarily it's the throat issue. And I have um, dysphagia, which is the difficulty to swallow. I've been choking on food. Um, I have to sit upright, um, not talk, not do anything else, and just concentrate on eating when I eat now so I don't choke. It's not fun. Um, I don't enjoy it. I've already had one test. Um, I've already had a couple tests, but the most recent test was a barium swallow fluoroscopy with speech pathology. I had that this week. Um, it did find some esophageal reflux, which is not a big surprise. I've had stomach problems my whole life, and I had, of course, more severe ones during my early stages of, of bind, of withdrawal. But... Um, I also think there's something else. I think it, I'm thinking my problem is more neurological because it's like I forgot how to swallow. It's like I'm not getting triggered to swallow. And then I also seem to have some complications with breathing too and that I'm not separating those like we do auto, 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 yeah. <laughs> automatically. That's the word I'm looking for. But... um. I did read that some of the COVID they've seen has effects, also some neurological effects, much as benzos do, as we know. And I've also seen that sometimes they can affect the autonomous nerve system, which is the one that helps you breathe and chew and eat and all that kind of stuff. So my thoughts is, my thought is that that is the most likely culprit is benzos meet bind. Um, I've been, when I've been talking to people about this, I've I've just keep saying that COVID and bind don't seem to play well. They don't play nice together, um, which makes sense. It does seem like there are some carryovers, and I think that's part of the part of the issue. I don't know. I don't really know, but I'm getting more tests. Um, I have a appointment for a um, gastroenterologist, and I have an appointment for an ENT doc um, to follow up with things. Let's keep trying to find out the cause and see if we can figure out what's going on. It's been going on for over a month now. I get a little depressed. Um, I get, it's, 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 it's bad in that regards, but it's also good. And this is one thing I wanted to share with you. It's good in the regards that it's been a really good reminder of what it was like in the early stages of withdrawal. I haven't had a wave like this in years. And, um, and it's not fun. I don't enjoy it at all. But at the same point, it reminds me of what you all are going through, what so many of you are in the middle of right now and how hard that really was, how overwhelming that was, how depressing that was. And if this helps me be more in touch with each of you, then maybe it's for a good reason. And I always try to find that, I try to find that positive angle, even though it's hard and we all know it's hard. So um, I've had a few other symptoms with this too, more, most recently, achesthesia has kicked in again and I'm, my, my muscles have really locked up, especially in my upper body, which also may be partly why I'm having um, the throat and swallow issues. And my throat's been very tight and 
The tight throat and swallowing were mild ones I had early on in benzoyl but they went away right away. Um, so that's why it was surprising that they came back. Anyway, that's my medical stand, stature at the moment. I wanted to update you all because people were, you were all were so concerned and I really appreciate it. Um, but thank you. And thank you for sending in your information. We got a lot of information about COVID um, and BIND and other people who are having complications. And while I may not touch on all those today, we are going to probably dedicate an episode here to COVID and BIND again um, in the next month or so. Maybe even next month it might be that one. Because I think it's such an important topic right now and it's something that so many of us are going through. We have talked COVID and BIND before, but it was early on during the pandemic. And now that we know a little more, I think we should revisit that and talk about how those two conditions um, seem to interact. So we'll do that. I haven't just been recovering. I've taken a little bit of time to take it a little slower, but I've been working on a lot of things. Um, the website, I mention this all the time. I'm sure many of you roll your eyes when I say this because I've been working on this website for probably close to a year and a half or longer or updating the website. But anyway, it's actually getting really close. I think with the next month or so, I should have the new website online. I'll take off the other easing anxiety site and then the old benzo free site will also come offline and those you are those domains will just forward to the new one it won't be anything that you'll have to worry about but the structure behind it is going to help speed up what i do and and reduce some of my workload allowing me to do more podcasts to do more um more content uh, more articles i want to i want to really build up the site and have more things on it so once we get that all done, um, I'll walk you through it. I'll tell you when it's ready to go, and um, we'll catch up. I also wanted to update you on the peer, peer support training. Been working really hard on that. We just finished phase two of the development of our peer support training through the Benzodiazepine Action Work Group that I co-chair with Dr. Alexis Ritpo that many of you are familiar with. Just wanted to update you that, but we spent over a year now working on this, and we did a pilot in December that went great. Um, we sold out the pilot <laughs> two different times, so we had plenty of people coming to it. Um, the evaluations were excellent. We revised it, cleaned it up. So many people are involved in this. Um, it's a project that involves people from the Alliance for Benzodiazepine. One more time, backing up. The Alliance for Benzodiazepine Best Practices, Benzodiazepine Information Coalition, my group, Easing Anxiety, Benzo Warrior. Um, some people from the Benzodiazepine Action Work Group who aren't associated with those teams from Colorado. There have been a lot of people involved in this, and I think we really have created, hopefully, a, an excellent training. Uh, Dr. Christy Huff and myself presented the pilot training in December, and some other of our core development team members will present some training coming up here um, in the next few months. And as soon as we are ready to launch those, we will tell you. If you want information on this training program, you can go to benzopeertraining.org. I set up a domain for that. Right now it forwards to a page on my website and you can see some basic information. It eventually probably will forward to a, a site over at the consortium. And once we have classes available, they will be listed. And I, of course, will talk about them on the podcast. So anyway, I'll, I'll put that URL in our show notes so you have it. I did want to share with you a little bit of um, really good news. And just so you know, we've we've been busy. There's been so much going on, and that's why 
part of the reason why the podcasts have been slow um, because there's just so much going on with this work group. But there's a couple conferences coming up I wanted to let you know about. Um, not that it's so much for, for many of you probably won't attend because they're more medically based conferences, but um, we were really pumped to learn a week ago that our proposal for the RX and Illicit Drug Summit, the RX Summit in Atlanta, Georgia, it's a national conference on April 10th to the 13th, was accepted. We weren't sure it was. We got kind of, there was some confusion. And finally, we got the email saying that um, our presentation is going to be accepted, which means um, my co-chair at the work group, Dr. Alexis Ritvo, Dr. Christy Huff, who is a director at Benzodiazepine Information Coalition and a member of the work group, and myself, D.E. Foster, that's me, <laughs> in case you didn't know who you were listening to, are all heading down to Atlanta in April to present a um, a, um, a, a course, uh, not a course, what's the term I'm looking for, a seminar, whatever they call it, but a presentation on benzodiazepine safety. And we're really pumped that we're getting that opportunity to present that at this national conference. So, um, And we're looking at more things coming up. In fact, Immediately following that, um, Dr. Christy Huff, who was presenting with us there, is also heading off to the ASAM conference in Washington. That's the American Society for Addiction of Addiction Medicine. And she'll be presenting a poster, um, which means information about the studies, the research studies that we've been doing. I'm on that research team with her and um, and um, Bernie Silvernail out of the Alliance for Benzodiazepine Best Practices and a couple um, doctors out of Vanderbilt. And um, that's with those studies that we released recently. So she'll be presenting some of that information at that conference. So a lot of good exposure coming up for our message on benzodiazepine safety. So those are all really exciting things. And we're also looking at other conferences and um, presentation opportunities to come and present our information on the research we've done on benzodiazepine-induced neurological dysfunction or BIND. Um, we're presenting that more and more places now. And also on the work that we've done with the work group. So it's there's a lot of exciting things happening. And just because I haven't been on the podcast lately doesn't mean I've just been, you know, chilling out and putting my feet up and watching reruns of Cheers, which I do. Um, but that's not what I was doing this time. Uh, I could keep talking on and on, and I know I'm going to. Um, how long have I gone so far since this is a live recording? I've gone 15 minutes on my intro. Um, I'm going to wrap this up here pretty soon, but I just wanted to um, kick this one off with kind of what I opened up with earlier, which was, I feel you. I, I hear you, and I'm this recent setback I've gone through has helped to remind me of how hopeless this can feel sometimes. And I always talk about trying to have hope and finding hope, but I also want everybody to understand that I under, that I I get not having hope, and I get how hard it is to find hope in the midst of what we're going through here. So, you know, the other thing that I face all the time is this overwhelmed nature, and I've had that a lot. Just, I mean, even in the eight years that I've been off benzos and the year and a half I was tapering before that, but it's still there, and along with the anxiety, and along with the cognitive difficulties and memory, and along with the ecstasy and all this other stuff, there's this sense of overwhelm that really um, overtakes you sometimes. I think many of you have 
experienced it too, because I've heard from your emails and comments that you have. But I, I face it a lot. I'm always feeling behind. I'm always feeling like there's way too much to do. I am always feeling overwhelmed. I think part of that is bind. And part of that is just anxiety. And part of that's my ADHD. And part of that's a lot of different things. But I think many of you can relate to that and understand what I'm talking about. So I'll close out the introduction just by saying... I'm back. I apologize for the hiatus, but I needed to take care of myself for a little bit, and I needed to get a few other projects done that were pressing. We're still working on the training. It's being launched here in the next few months. Please look for those courses at benzopeertraining.org. Um, and I will, of course, announce them here either through our newsletter. If you're not signed up for a mailing list, please do so. And I'll also mention to them on the podcast when it comes out, when those are available. Uh, it's just good to be back. I really missed talking with you. I really missed getting on here and saying, hello, how you doing? Um, this feeds my soul. This helps me and my recovery. And when I don't have it, um, it's a hole. It's a hole in my life. And I, I value this a lot. And I value you all. And I value, even though I haven't put a podcast out, I'm amazed at how many of you still just reach out and check in, say, hey, I got one just yesterday, I think, um, saying just, hey, just checking in, seeing how you're doing. Haven't seen a podcast in a while, and not that they were pressuring me, but just, and I just wanted to make sure you're okay. It, it's stuff like that. I mean, people who are going through difficult times in their lives, and yet they take the time to be concerned about me and others and reach out, and that's just amazing, and that that builds my faith in humanity and in people and everything. And um, I'm always have a lot of faith in people. So it just helps to add to that. So um, I just want to thank you all to thank you all for your patience when I take these, these little short breaks and also to be, to still stick with me and be there as we move forward. But before we move on, don't forget, I love to hear from you just as I mentioned Comment on our videos on YouTube, which is what we're about to do, on our podcast posts or via feedback form at easinganxiety.com slash feedback. And while you're there, perhaps you might want to subscribe to our mailing list. That's where I will give more information about upcoming um, things, other events going on. I'm hoping to get that more robust. And also, if you get a chance, you can donate to the work we do on our website. Every little bit does help. And some several of you have donated lately, and I'm very grateful for that. Thank you so much. And remember... The Benzo Free Podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. Now let's take a look at that mailbag by going online to YouTube. Okay, the first one out of our YouTube comments, this is from Synthal Shoulders. And this person said that, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit because it's a little disjointed. But they gave lorazepam intravenous in the ER like in the ER like crazy, and it's neurotoxic. It causes harm, and the withdrawal is horrific. I agree with much of what was said there, but I just want to clarify a couple of things because one of the things we 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 face is of course the attitude that all benzos are horrible and they need to be banned. Um, I don't support that um, that statement. Um, benzodiazepines have, mm, are, are very effective 
for certain things in the medical community. Um, benzodiazepines are really good at calming people down. That's why so many of us got, you know, caught with them. So say in an ER setting and somebody comes in with severe agitation from drugs or from, neuro, you know, neuro, neurological issues or something else, often benzos are the best thing to go to to calm that person down so they can get treated. Um, medical procedures, often people, will, they will give, as I did recently for my foot surgery, they will give benzodiazepines, of course, to help with the anesthesia to help calm the person down. And actually it can reduce the amount of anesthesia that is needed, which is a benefit that also increases the, re I mean, that decreases the recovery time. So it helps you recover faster if less um, anesthesia is used. So another benefit, um, alcohol detox, ben benzodiazepines can be very helpful in alcohol detox and some other things for seizures and such. And even for short-term uses, although that needs to be monitored closely and that can get dangerous. I think we all understand that where benzodiazepines can become, becomes more of an issue is long-term continuous use. And that's what we have to be very careful of. Anything longer than two to four weeks. And even we've even seen some people that have become dependent earlier than that. But in general, anything longer than two to four weeks can lead to dependence and can lead to withdrawal, which can be severe and can last for months or years in some people. This one's from Adrian Sylvester, and Adrian wrote to me about flumazenil, and this comes up a lot, and I keep saying that we're going to do an episode on flumazenil, and I mean to, but I'm still trying to find the right research that I'm looking for to um, have this, and I also was trying to get a certain guest on the show to speak to it, and we've been trying to figure out schedules on that, so that's part of that delay, just so you all know. Okay, flumazenil. Let's, um, how do I condense this into, <laughs> like, one paragraph? Flumazenil is a GABA-A receptor antagonist, meaning that it's the opposite of the effect of benzodiazepines on the GABA-A receptors, so benzodiazepines calm you down, flumazenil wakes you back up. Um, and thus, it's often used in medical procedures after somebody's been given a benzodiazepine or the like, then flumazenil helps bring them back and, and bring them back to a more wake, woken state. It is also used to help treat protracted, or actually benzodiazepine withdrawal complications, um, both short-term and protracted. We've seen it used in several different scenarios. Um, one of the articles I wrote a while back on my website, if you want to go check it out, was on Jordan Peterson. This is not regarding any of the politics of him, good or bad. I'm just saying it, we were. I was talking about his experience with benzodiazepine withdrawal. He went through an ultra-rapid detox in Russia, and you can read some of the details of what that was like. There's a high risk of seizures. He was, have, he was put in an induced coma to be able to go through that. That's the extreme side of flumazenil. There's also um, other areas like um, slow subcutaneous um, flumazenil administration. And it's a much safer procedure, although there still is a slight risk of seizures. Um, but it often has less side effects, and it's a much more slowly, and that's more for long-term or protracted dependence. So this drug is, is administered in different methods. Um, I've had many people write to me who have had the subcutaneous version of this and have had success. I am still skeptical about it um, because <laughs> I think any of us who have been through 
what we've been with through benzodiazepines, we're skeptical of any drug that somebody says is safe or of another drug to fix the problem that this other drug created. And that's where I come from. But I need to see the evidence. I need to see the studies. What we're missing still are long-term efficacy studies on flumazenone. What's the effect long-term? If the goal is to bring our bodies back to homeostasis, meaning back to a stable, balanced way of performing, that's the way our bodies were beforehand for most of us. And that healing has to happen for us to get there. Do these other drugs delay that healing and give you temporary relief? Or do they actually help you heal? And that's a question I don't think I've had an answer given to. So I'm not against flumazenol. I'm not against gabapentin. I'm not against melatonin. I'm not against any of these things that people have been using to help them. My, what I'm trying to bring out is I'm still skeptical, 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 I throw a P in there, skeptical. <laughs> I'm still skeptical of the long-term ramifications of these medications. Are we just getting into a bigger problem by adding more medications with its own side effects? Or are we actually helping to reduce the length and severity of benzodiazepine withdrawal? In my opinion, I've not seen the evidence that proves that either way. For myself, I think I'm still going to go the natural path to heal and continue going that route until I see some very hard evidence of something better. Anyway, thanks for the question, Adrian. I really appreciate it. Um, if you want to, that comments on our channel and you can see some more feedback and some of the stuff that Adrian wrote um, in that comment section. This one's from Gary Simone. Gary writes all the time, and I, I we correspond a lot. Great guy. Again, I, I talked to him a lot. So a lot of real good feedback, a lot of really good information. Gary had written on our, our YouTube comments, was bind a medical term invented by patients in general or by medical folks? Let me back up a bit. We've talked about bind on this podcast. It's on my website. It's all over the place because we're we're promoting it. BIND, just so you all know, stands for Benzodiazepine-Induced Neurological Dysfunction. That's the acronym. It is a term that a team of researchers, including myself, have come up with to identify the protracted state of withdrawal, what we previously would have called Benzodiazepine Withdrawal Syndrome, protracted or post-acute withdrawal syndrome, or protracted withdrawal, or protracted benzodiazepine, these, all these other terms we have used. And um, now I, I give presentations on BIND along with Dr. Christy Huff and Dr. Alexis Ritvo when we do that and trying to promote this. Um, and if you want to, just go to my website and go to easinganxiety.com, type in BIND, and you'll see articles and podcasts on that if you want to learn more. Anyway, where did it come from? I just kind of mentioned some of it. It actually came from a team of researchers. Most of the people on this team, we did a Delphi study to identify the terminology and most of the people on this were actually medical folks. But we also intentionally had people with lived experience like myself. Anyway, it was determined by this um, research team. It is being put forward in a research paper. Uh, we already have one research paper out for the survey that's come out, one that's coming out in the next week or two. And then this third one, and the, probably the final one from the survey, is the one that introduces BIND in the medical literature. So that's coming out soon. But in the meantime, we're still promoting it. We're still using it in most of our language and we're trying to make it more generally accepted because we think this term 
really defines what we've gone through. This is neurological dysfunction. It was caused by benzodiazepines. It's an acronym that people can remember. Also, it the one of the key things we saw in the research that we were identifying was the difference between the immediate withdrawal effects that are similar to other medications and the protracted withdrawal effects. And that's what we're referring to as BIND. So great question, Gary. Thank you so much. Okay, I'm back. I did pause it there. Um, I am pausing it between some of these because I need to find the next one and I don't want to just <laughs> have you all hanging there while I'm whistling. Um, and also, I just needed to make a quick bathroom break. Um, and I didn't think you probably wanted me to keep the recorder with me while I was doing that. I don't think we need to know each other that well. Um, so I'm back and let's carry on with some of these. And sorry for the chair noise there. Let's carry on with some of these YouTube comments. This is a tough one to, to cover, but I wanted to bring it up anyway. This is from Lorena85, and I'm just going to read the beginning part of it. It's a longer paragraph here this person wrote. Um, but she said, is it normal to have constant brain lock, brain shutting down during benzo tolerance and tapering? I feel I'm the only one with this bad functioning brain. It is stopping me to function and do much anything. I still have 35 milligrams to taper with Ashton Manual and can't survive if I can't be sure that it's properly from benzos. Been fighting with benzos one and a half years. I'm isolated because of this. I've heard from a few benzo users who have had brain lock. I'm sure I'm the worst. Can't just process normal things and want to die because of that. Oh, I'm so sorry. So sorry to hear about what you've been going through. I have I responded to this a while back to Lorena. Um, of course, I also sent on some resources on suicidality, which I always do whenever that topic comes up. Um, before we do anything else, I just want to mention to everybody, of course, I realize benzo withdrawal bind can seem hopeless sometimes, but it's not. We get better. Even with my setback, my recent setback that was nasty, I know this is temporary and it might even have nothing to do with bind. I mean, it may be that my swallowing difficulties and my tight throat are just esophageal reflux and I need to treat that. So I don't even know that this is necessarily bind. But it does seem that COVID and bind don't play well together and that may have created some setbacks in some other people as you all have written into me. So, um, But still, I know it's temporary and I know I'm going to get back on track again. Um, I, I have plenty of hope and I haven't lost that. But for those of you in the earlier stages, those of you in such a desperate state, for those of you who have this brain lock such as Lorraine is talking about, it gets to be so intense. And also our brains aren't functioning, not just in the brain lock and shutting down, but also in the irrational thinking arena. Meaning that we forget how to process or we, we're unable to process things on a more rational level. And thus we lose hope and we face hopelessness and we face some difficult decisions. So I just want to keep emphasizing to everyone that this is not hopeless. We do get better. We do heal. I am so much better than I was, even with my recent setback. Um, I still am functioning normal. I'm still here recording a podcast with you, even with this swallowing difficulty. I mean, I'm still functioning pretty normal, and I know this is going to go away in a little while. Um, I've learned to deal with it. I've learned to move on. 
it gets better. It is only temporary. So please, if you need help with suicidality, just go to our website. Um, um, all you have to do is go to easinganxiety.com and search for suicidality or search for or go into our resources page. And we have the suicide resources right there on that, on that resources page. So please get some help. There are people professionally trained to help with you during this time. Please get help. So I just wanted to make sure I emphasize that because that's very important. Nothing worse than making a permanent decision like that in response to something that is temporary. It may take a while, but it is temporary. We do heal and we do get better. But as far as the brain lock and brain shutting down, I think many of us have experienced that. We understand that. Cognitive dysfunction, memory loss, um, like I talk about irrational thinking, all these things combine into a very difficult um, state of mind that we fall into. And it's it's hard. It's It's hard because it can stop us from going back to work like it has for me. We may not be able to function at the same level that we used to. Um, the more stressed we get, the more anxious we get, the more those symptoms seem to kick up. And few things really mess with you like that loss of memory and that loss of cognitive function. The rest of the symptoms we can sometimes process if our brain's acting normally. But when it's not, it's really hard for us to adapt to these changes. And also, one last thing, the isolation that Lorena talks about. Um, I, I get it. And I'm, God, how do I say this without tearing up? Um, because I'm feeling too. And I, I felt it recently with my setback. That's one of the things that came back was this sense of isolation. Um, I wasn't talking with you all that much because I was so busy trying to deal with my own symptoms. I think we all understand what that's like. We get so overwhelmed trying to deal with our own condition. The world around us seems to move on without us for a while. And I get a lot of that support from you all. And I that's why I'm so glad I'm back here talking again. But so many emails, so many comments I get are about people being isolated, feeling alone, feeling like nobody's there. And damn it, if there's anything I can do on this podcast, if there's anything that's successful... It's that connection. It's to let you know you are not alone. You're not. You're not alone. I'm here. I work with some amazing people who are here from all these amazing organizations. Reach out. Check in with us. We'll try to get back to you. There are people here that do counseling. There's there's um, people online that provide support systems. There's support groups. I have a lot of these resources on our website. There are people out here who are going through what you're going through. Benzo Buddies is a forum that many people have found support through. Sometimes you have to be careful of the advice you use on Benzo Buddies because it's an open forum, but it's a great place to connect with people for the most part. Sometimes there can also be trolls and just like any forum, but there's a lot of good with, with the difficulty that comes with that one. But Reach out and find people to talk to. Reach out and find people to connect with, people who are going through what you're going through. Um, it makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference. Lorena, please take care of yourself. I sure hope you start feeling better soon. And please keep in touch. This next one is from Charlie Bates. And Charlie writes, 
How long did you go without sleeping at all during your withdrawal? I'm going on day eight now. Two milligrams clonopin for about two years, weaned down for about 25 days. And only getting maybe 20 minutes of sleep a night. I've been drinking two beers before bed to make me drowsy. But that's probably doing more harm than good, I would think. But it's the only way I feel drowsy. How many days in a row did you go with little or no sleep? Great question and a great topic to talk about. Insomnia, of course, is one of the primary symptoms of benzodiazepine withdrawal and bind. And it can last for a while. I did have insomnia, especially early on. For a long time, I, I did not sleep well for a long time. I still get bouts of insomnia. Thankfully, my, fa thankfully, my insomnia now is more a few days. Uh, maybe our sleepless night or two or, or a night or two with very little sleep and then it comes back. But early on, it was chronic and lasted for a while. I can't say I went eight days with zero sleep because that will almost shut a, a, shut a body down. And also, one of the nice things about benzodiazepine withdrawals, for many of us, we're getting the return of SWS and REM sleep, which those drugs have suppressed for a long time. And that can also be a factor because that also brings on nightmares and brings on a lot of things that many of us have, have had suppressed for a long time. But as for insomnia, the best treatments are, in my mind, what we call sleep hygiene. Alcohol is is not a good answer. Um, and, and, and I want to say that with this big, big, big caveat right here. I judge no one, okay? I drank some beers. I had some alcohol during my withdrawal, and I look back and say that probably wasn't good. That probably wasn't smart. I didn't use it to help me sleep, but I just had some thinking it wasn't a big deal. Ashton even mentions you can have a drink or two. It's probably fine. In hindsight, I'm not sure I totally agree. But it's controversial, and people have different takes on this, and I get that. The one thing we do know is that alcohol acts on the same GABA-A receptors as do benzodiazepines. And I have to admit, as far as alcohol goes, I'm still not sure if I can drink going forward. I had a conversation with one of my good friends from the podcast, and now just a really good friend of mine, the other day about that, about alcohol. And for some of us, can we still drink? And I don't know. I don't know if some of my setbacks have been related to a little bit of alcohol. I barely drink anything. But every now and then I've had a beer. And is that causing a setback? We really don't know. I'm not damning people who do. Some people I think can drink fine and come off the drugs. I may have a correlation between some alcohol and some of my problems. I may not. I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm, I don't know if you all play that same game. Sorry for this caveat real quick, but that same game of trying to connect the symptom to the cause. I feel like it's some online, you know, um, you know, pin the dale, uh, what am I thinking of, like Wheel of Fortune or something, some big online game show of connect the symptom to the cause. Welcome, and here's your host. <laughs> and they come out and they, you know, and they find the cause. Okay, this symptom is you just had a setback with achesthesia, um, some DPDR, and let's throw in a little bit of tinnitus while we're at it. Okay, for those symptoms, and you had those, and three weeks ago you did this, what caused it? <laughs> Sorry, that's me on a little bit of a tangent, but... But anyway, on the alcohol side, along with everything else, is we so often don't know the cause of a wave. Alcohol may be a trigger. It makes sense. 
It really does. But I'm getting way off subject. Let's bring it back to where we were. But alcohol is not a good cure for insomnia. And if anything, it may be like still taking your benzodiazepine. So just be cautious with that. No judgment whatsoever. Just be cautious. But I know when you can't sleep, you'll do anything to help sleep. I took Benadryl for a while. It has the, I can't remember the scientific name, def, def, whatever it is. Um, but it has a drug in it that helps most people sleep. I say most because my wife, it has the opposite effect, but most people sleep with this drug. And I took that for a while. I took that for about three or four weeks. And then finally, I decided to wean off that because I didn't want to be to become dependent on that drug, on Benadryl, um, to help me sleep. But it did help me get through some of the more um, difficult stages temporarily. Um, some people have used melatonin. Some people have used a variety of different herbs and substances. And, and some of those may have helped some people. I find sleep hygiene to be maybe the best, which is just practice good sleeping practices, such as don't watch TV an hour or two before going to bed or on your phone or on a screen. The blue screens, scientifically, it's been proven, actually wake us up. They don't put us to sleep. Activity in the day, a busy day helps you sleep. The more active you are, both physically and mentally, the better you sleep. Create a great sleeping environment. Make sure it's quiet. Maybe have some white noise if that helps you sleep. Try to avoid things that are going to trigger you. Figure out how to turn your brain off. That, I think, for many of us is the biggest problem. Turning off my anxiety, my brain is the biggest thing. And find things. I, I sometimes, sometimes do little brief meditations as I'm trying to sleep to kind of keep my mind busy. Or I'll read a book. Or I'll do something to kind of take it off my take my mind off my own troubles. But it's it's hard because when you can't sleep, all your other recovery just becomes that much harder. Your other symptoms become that much worse because you need that sleep. Your body needs that sleep. And also another one is acceptance for for insomnia. Finally, I had to accept that I'm not going to sleep some nights. And I would get up and work. I'd go to my desk. I would write a script for a podcast or I would, you know, work on an article or something. I would do something else. And sometimes that's good to do and then go back and try or just let it be. Because for me, the primary reason why I couldn't sleep was often the anxiety of not sleeping. It's that damn cyclical pattern. And sometimes that's helped by accepting not sleeping. So crawling into bed and realize, hey, I may not sleep tonight, and that's okay. And it takes some of that pressure off. Anyway, just some random things to throw out there for you, Charlie. Don't know if I helped or not, but yes, insomnia is common. Yes, it's a major problem for many of us, but it does get better. Um, I sleep so much better than I did when I was early on um, in benzo withdrawal, so... It gets a lot better. Just hang in there and see if you can find some method, some healthy method to help you sleep. Thanks. This next one comes from KezChick56. And the question is, what do you do for high piercing sound? I was at hospital all day, part of the night for this. I needed to stop. 
Uh, tinnitus, tinnitus, depending on how you want to pronounce it. I call it tinnitus just out of habit. Is of course a major symptom of benzo withdrawal. We all know that. I say we all know that because most of you, many of you who respond to me have been with me for a long time and you know that. So I realize that not all of you know that, <laughs> but a lot of us do understand that tinnitus is very common. I got three types. I mentioned it to you all before. I had um, background white noise, which is always there. I have a high piercing one, but it usually comes and goes within about 30 seconds, usually in one ear. And then I have pulsatile tinnitus, which is what it's called, which is usually it's a pulsating tinnitus in the rhythm with my heart. Um, I have all three of those. Recently, in the past four months or so, the pulsatile tinnitus has come back with a vengeance. It's part of this last setback, this last wave I've had. And I've even gone to the doctor. I've gone to the ear doc trying to get it examined. My hearing's good. But yeah, I go to bed and I have that pulsatile. Now, I know for some people, it's even more severe than that. I think that's you, Kesjik. For some people, it's so annoying, you can't think and you can't um, sleep. And and that's where you got to go get help. I understand you've been to the hospital. I'm sure you've probably seen an otologist or an ENT doc or somebody um, or a hearing specialist on this. But there are doctors really well trained with tinnitus that hopefully can help. For those of you out there that are having chronic tinnitus or tinnitus problems, just because it may be related to bind or benzo withdrawal doesn't mean you don't want to go get help for it. Doesn't mean you shouldn't still talk to a doctor for it. Maybe, I mean, tell the doctor what's going on, where you believe this is coming from. I always do that. Um, in fact, I got to tell you an anecdote in a second here. But don't be afraid to go get symptoms checked out. Sometimes it's not bind. Sometimes it's not the benzos. This next one is from J.M.A. Ross, and it's not so much a question, but more just a, a comment. And I kind of wanted to share this one here. J.M.A. said, thank you, D, for this video and all of your good work. The video he's re he or she, I'm not sure. Sorry, I don't know the gender here. But this person is referring to is my video, A New You, Life After Benzo Withdrawal, that I've presented at Benzo Warrior. It's online if you want to go check it out. Anyway. I began tapering from clonazepam beginning January 1st, 2019 and discovered your book and your podcast soon after. You have been an incredible resource for me through this process. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I took my last benzo on March 29th, 2022. Congratulations. After being on them for 19 years. Wow. I'm experiencing bind and am coping with symptoms. That's good to hear. It helps so much to have a name for what I continue to experience. One day I'll write more about my experience. I just want you to know how much your work means. No, nothing better than to get feedback from somebody and somebody tells you that, hey, what you did meant something. God, we all need that in life, don't we? We all need that in life for somebody to say you made a difference. I think we all need that. And I'm just so blessed that people like J.M.A. Ross write into me and tell me that what I've done helps. And it means the world. Anyway, coping with symptoms is a great statement. It means that, yes, you're having difficulty, but you've learned how to deal with it, maybe some acceptance, and you're coping with the process. And that's very encouraging to hear. And just that it meant so much to have a name for what continued experience, the buying terminology. I think 
I think that's a great name. We're going to keep pushing it. I think it's getting out there. People are starting to see it. Oh, that anecdote. I mentioned I had an anecdote earlier. <laughs> Let me jump back on that. See, this one tied back to it. I was in, um, I had this barium swallow test for my throat um, a couple days ago. And when I, I did an intake with the um, speech pathologist first, and she took down, and I told her about this condition and bind and everything. And I said, it's also known as this. And that's what I, whenever I present bind, just so you know, to medical personnel, I always refer, also refer to it as protracted benzodiazepine withdrawal or protracted neurological, sometimes neurological dysfunction caused by benzodiazepines. Um, but I don't just, I don't just say bind because they don't usually have a reference for that yet. And this was cool. I finally got to the appointment and she was my speech pathologist there feeding me food as the doctor was doing, the radiologist was, you know, checking my throat with this x-ray on the side as it's going down and watching the process of how I eat. And this is how this test works. And she said, well, this patient is dealing with bind. And I thought that was so cool. And I elaborated. I said, well, it's, it's a neurological dysfunction created by benzodiazepines. Um, elaborated, but she used the term back at me. And I thought that was so cool. I thought that was so cool. For anybody who doesn't think we can't teach medical professionals as a patient, you're wrong. And I know I sound strong there, and I'm sorry, but I can't. I can't count right now the number of medical professionals whose opinions of benzodiazepine prescribing and deprescribing have changed, not because I'm a fellow doctor, not even because I'm an I'm, I'm a organizational leader in the benzo community, but mostly because when I was their patients and I told them what I'm going through and they saw what I'm going through and we make a difference. So even if you tell a doctor about what you're going through and that doctor even dismisses you or doesn't want to work with you, you are still chipping away at that layer of arrogance, I guess is the best way to say it, that they know everything about benzos. We make a difference. Anyway, I just had to say that. So that was so cool that bind, that, that somebody said it back to me. It's like, wow. Um, she took the term down and she wrote it down and she said she's going to start using that term. That's so cool. So we make a difference. The more we're out there, the more tests we get done, the more people see what we've gone through and what we're dealing with. Uh, thanks, J.M.A. Ross. That's a, that's a great comment. I love reading your, your description. Thank you. Your, your comment. Thank you very much. But I think we're going to wrap that and start to move on to the closing out on this podcast. I just want to thank everyone for your comments, whether you're on YouTube or via our feedback form at easinganxiety.com slash feedback or via email or however they come into us. Thank you. Today was just about the YouTube comments, but next time it'll be more about the emails and the feedback form. Each one is, is equally as important, and I, I value having those, and I value sharing those. I sometimes, it takes me a week or even longer lately to sometimes respond to some of the, the, the feedback I got, and I'm trying to get better at that to stay on top of it, but um, I'm doing my best. I do respond to everything I get. I just want everybody to know that. Even if it takes me a week or even up to two maybe to get back to you, I do respond. Um, so please don't be afraid to write into us. Um, we'd love to hear from you.
Oh, so let's close this out. Um, I just want to let you all know that we are going to move on to our moment of peace. We still have a moment of peace here. I don't think I mentioned that up front, did I? Okay. So anyway, we still have our moment of peace. So if you can allow me just 25 seconds for our disclaimer, we will move into the moment of peace and close out the podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical health or psychological advice nor any other kind of personal professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benzofree podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering on any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org slash disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our moment of peace. It's just one minute, and it's an opportunity to quiet your mind a bit before you return to the chaos of the real world. Please remember that you should only do this if you are in a safe place where you can close your eyes, relax, and let the world pass by without you for a minute. Today's meditation is a counting meditation. It's quite simple, actually, and with a small twist. The twist is that we start counting on our exhale instead of our inhale. But this method allows us to focus more on our out-breath, which is the relaxation breath, than on the in-breath. And it goes like this. Exhale, counting one. And then inhale to reset. Exhale, counting two. And then inhale to fill your lungs again. Exhale, three, and so on. Let's get started. Close your eyes and relax. And before we start the counting, let's do our three opening breaths in our normal fashion. Take a deep breath into your belly. Hold it for a second. And let it out slowly. Let's do that again. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly along with all the stress of the day. One more time. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly, relaxing your entire body. Now just breathe slowly and naturally.
and then slowly fill your lungs with air and start counting. Exhaling one, focusing on relaxation, and then inhale to reset. Exhaling two, and so on. Continue to do this for one minute. Our next scheduled episode is episode 113, and it will be released next month, if not earlier. Thank you again for joining me today, and please, let us know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.